Hello, 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 and welcome back to the IBS Freedom Podcast. I am joined by Miss Amy Hollenkamp, RD. Everyone for myself, knows and loves. Know and I mean, why not? Go go for it. It felt weirder to have only me clapping. Okay. So okay. I'm glad that we had like kind of the audience effect. But also, right. if any of you are watching this on YouTube with video, you'll notice I'm in a different place now. It doesn't look really pretty yet. I haven't put anything on the walls, but I did survive the bulk of the move. And we only had one minor incident. I'm pretty sure one of the workers got a concussion lifting the damn elliptical. Oh, no. Okay. But, you know... Well, did That's I not on your that? dime. That's what they have insurance for, for the employees of the well, moving company. Yeah, he. I would have I would have been more worried if he wasn't still acting pretty normal. But did I tell you that story yet? No. Okay, we'll just derail for a quick second. And then I swear we're going to get into something useful to all of you. So my husband has this elliptical that weighs like 8,000 tons. Right. I don't even know. And the house that we moved into has like a 45 degree slope side yard to it and the elliptical was going down into the basement floor but like the staircase down to the basement there's no way they would have rounded the corner and gotten the elliptical down so they had no other choice but to go down the side yard well i thought that they'd like strap it onto a dolly and have like all three of i thought all three of the guys would be carrying it no two dudes and they were just carrying it like (laughs) This. So yeah. the elliptical is like up in the air, right? right? And they're holding it from the bottom, going down a 45 degree slope. I saw them go by and I kind of internally cringed and was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, this is bad. Maybe a minute or so, maybe 30 seconds or a minute goes by and I hear a bang slash crash. I don't know how to describe it. I heard a noise and then I heard the one guy kind of yell at the other guy like, oh, way to go, Mike, kind of a thing. And then maybe like a minute later, he emerges with his hand on his head, blood running down his head. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like, like running down his head. And he just goes, I, I need a (laughs) towel. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So I, uh, by the way, I'm here alone because Mike was picking up Jess from school. So I'm here alone with the mover dudes. And I don't know where anything is because we just were moving in in that moment. And they had only unloaded like 15% of the truck. So I I was like, oh, my God. And I ran inside. And luckily, thank God, past Nikki and past Mike were smart enough. We brought toilet paper and paper towels the first time we came to get the keys and I knew right where the paper towels were. So I ran back, gave him a wad of paper towels. I kid you not, Amy. He was like, oh, thanks. He put the paper towels on his head. He held it on his head for maybe four seconds. And then he put his baseball cap back on, on top oh of the paper towels. And then he went back to work. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. The The only thing I felt like I could do, at least, was like I kind of was monitoring his behavior right. throughout the day. And also, I had to keep reminding them to hydrate because it was a pretty warm day and they were sweating boatloads and I barely saw those guys drink water. So I was like the water police telling them, like, please drink more water. Do you need more water? I'll get you water from the house, ice. And they were like, oh, okay. They would take like a birdie sip and then continue on their day. And I was like, oh, my gosh, for all of you. But anyway, so one person did not make it out unscathed, but the rest of the move we we made it in one piece unscathed. So, you know, a little crack on the noggin was, right. was the only real damage that we know about so far. Um, right. But we didn't get on this podcast to talk about my move, although I'm sure there are probably other entertaining stories I could think of. I promised to surprise Amy with a topic today. And this one might be a little bit, a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say visceral, emotional to talk about. And I don't know if you experienced this, but I think probably a fair amount of our clients or patients have experienced this. And that is body disappointment. Mm. Like just feeling like your body has let you down or feeling like your body hates you or feeling like your body's broken somehow. Mm. I don't know if you experienced that a lot in your SIBO journey and your IBS story, but I know definitely when I had the IBS years ago, like there was a distinct feeling of like, my body let me down. Why is my body doing this to me, et cetera, et 
cetera. And then I'll share another kind of incidents when that happened as well. But I'm curious, did you have any of those kind of feelings or emotions when you were going through your healing journey? Yeah, it's super interesting. I don't know if I necessarily linked it to like specifically my body, but Mm -hmm. I definitely had a sick mentality where I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm sick. I can't do this. Or like, I can't go after my goals or pursue this passion because I don't have the energy. Like, that sucks. I can't believe I'm Mm -hmm. in this situation. So there was definitely that. Like, I think for me, there were also things that were quietly facilitating that as well. So Mm -hmm. the degree of supplements, the degree of research I was doing, the hyper focus on getting better was yeah. just sort of exacerbating that feeling too. Yeah. There was there was less living again. I think it became more about having an imbalanced gut health journey to life balance. So I think for me again like there was this mentality of I was too sick to live the life I wanted to live. Yeah. And so I had to fix the gut problem before I could do anything else. Which again, I think it's the same thing you're just talking about where it feels like, oh, I'm broken and I have to fix this problem before Mm -hmm. I can move forward with my life, which didn't serve me well, wasn't the most productive mental headspace to be in for me to move forward. I actually think, again, for me to move forward, it really took shifting that mentality to, to include things that could be really beneficial to my life, which then impacted my gut health journey and again made me feel less broken less focused on the gut side of the equation so yeah i yeah i remember one time specifically that was terrible for me i think mental wise just because you know i had been a college basketball player so i played basketball my whole life i know we talked about like the story in the past where it was like so nice to get back to playing basketball again like recreationally on teams and things like that but there was a period of time where I was so weak I'd lost you know 30-ish pounds and I there was like a a game at my work so this was back when I was working as a marketing analyst before I went back to school Mm. and again it was just a game with different floors of our building our building had four floors so each floor had a team that they put together and so I was can playing I, on this team. Can I interrupt you and just yeah. say, in my brain, the way I'm picturing it, I know your husband loves The Office, and I know you've watched at least some of it, but have you seen the oh episode where, like, the different branches of Dunder Mifflin get together and play, like, volleyball and have a picnic together? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing in my okay. mind's eye. So I'm picturing, like, all of you wearing Dunder Mifflin t-shirts, but they're all, like, different colors to represent your branch. But continue. Right. It would be Paycor would be the company that I worked for. Okay. Um, and I think we actually were wearing different colors. Like each floor had different color shirts. I could be totally remembering this wrong. You're implanting memories into my head. But I, I'm pretty sure we each had shirts that we wore. And I don't know like what the the end goal was. But like I remember being so weak during that game, Mm. like where I could barely shoot, like I could barely Mm. make like shoot the basketball to the, to the hoop. And that was just so, it was just such like a, a gut punch to be like, Mm. how did I go from playing college basketball, playing probably the best basketball of my life at UK when I played club to like barely being able to shoot a basketball. I remember that pretty viscerally being like, very distraught after that game and i think again it was just really highlighting like oh my gosh my body is physically weak it's it's not what i remember it being i don't feel like i'm i'm myself so i do think that there's definitely aspects of my journey that were like that where it felt like like what's going on with my body and why can't it just function like it used to and why is this happening to me and again i I think that some of that stuff's probably like there's a little bit of that that i think can be like natural to have like emotions if you have 
a bad day or if you've had weight loss or something, like that can be really frustrating. Or if you're having continual gut symptoms, it's not to say that, you know, everything has to be rosy and, and like you can't it maybe ignore that there's some stuff going on. But I also think that there has to be a level of belief in reconnecting to to your body and not trying to abandon it uh, or maneuver away from it, per se. I, I think, again, like, there's there's such a disassociation, I think, with SIBO clients. Like, what I've seen work, working with clients, and I'm sure you have too, maybe even in your own journey, like, there's such a, such a disassociation between the body and the mind and the mindset. Mm. And that's scary to see at times because, you know, you have people that are just following what experts are saying and what, you know, these diets are saying as good or bad or, you know, this random Karen on Facebook said mm-hmm. that this is the worst food you could eat for SIBO. And again, like, you lose your ability to actually listen to your body and to appreciate your body and what does work for your body when you have all these messages that are clouding your mentality, maybe even unknowingly a lot of the time. Not like you're sitting you're sitting there saying, I'm going to dissociate from my body and that's going to help me. It's not like you're saying that at all or that that... that it's not saying that you're doing this on purpose at all, but I think it could be an easy trend to slip into where the your body's a little bit more of your enemy and you're just, yeah. or again, that you're just trying to fix all these breakdowns in your body that you yeah. can't appreciate things that do go right in your body or the things that you can do or the things that make you feel a little bit better. Like there's almost a hyper focus on, on everything going wrong. Yeah. Well, and it it makes sense on a couple levels because A, I think that difficult situations are easier to accept if we can label the bad guy or point the finger or the blame. And if it's something with your own health, like obviously there are some scenarios where you could blame the other person. Like I... I've heard stories from patients where they had no symptoms of gallbladder issues whatsoever. They had run-of-the-mill IBS, and that it was recommended that they yank out the gallbladder, and that, shocker, it did nothing for the IBS, or it made it worse. And so those there are scenarios where you could actually point a finger, like, oh, that doctor gave me bad advice and led me down a path that ultimately caused me harm. Like, I think that there are scenarios like that, but I think for a lot of us, it's it's just like, stuff happens, shit happens, right? Like, you right. you go through life and you get some reflux, so you take some Prilosec because it's easy to get and your doctor told you it was safe. And, you know, and then you started getting bloating and things were never the same. Or like, you went out to eat and you got food poisoning. Like, it wasn't anybody's fault. It just happened. And then things were never the same. But there's a lot of instances where there's not a clear uh, ability to point a finger at the person or the thing that's at fault. So I think it's, it's logical on some level that we would start to point the finger at ourselves and say, oh, it's my body's fault. And we do tend to think of the thoughts that we think we tend to think that that is us, right? Which arguably, like, it's not. You are not your thoughts. You are something completely separate from your frontal lobe and your thinking brain. But it's like, we can kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we are one thing and our body is just like this husk that we cart around all day on planet Earth. And if we can't find a finger to point, on some level, it makes sense that we would try to do that to a body part. And then with the fixing piece, I want to say this before I forget too, is that modern medicine has trained us to do that. Like they have taught us for hundreds of years that the way that healing works, not that they would use the word healing, but like the way that medicine works is that you identify the broken thing and you fix it. And it's very, you know, it's, it's very in line with like, you take your car to the mechanic 
they find the broken thing, they fix the broken thing, and then away you go. It's a very similar model at its core. So, you know, I, I think it's logical that people feel broken or that people would even kind mm-hmm. of blame their body part. But I tell this to patients and students all the time, your body wants to be healthy. Your gut right. wants to be healthy. Even, here's the the trippy one. I think it's even easier to blame the microbes and say, the microbes yeah. are out to get me. The bacteria is out to get me. The candida is evil. The bacteria is evil. The SIBO is evil. But... I would also pose this, that your microbiome wants you to be happy and healthy and well-nourished. You know why? Because happy, healthy, well-nourished people eat more food and you're going to feed the microbiome more if you are happy and healthy and living your damn life. So even your microbes are not intrinsically evil. Like they're not, you know, rubbing their little hands together. (laughs) How can we make her miserable? Like they, they just want a healthy host that's going to feed them for many, many years to come. If you die a premature death, or if you are wasting away, or if you whittle your diet down to nothing, that doesn't benefit them. Right. They're happy when you're happy. And I think what you're you're saying is true too. Like you can disassociate yourself. Like you still are disassociating like your body by saying, "Okay, it's the microbes' fault." Like yeah. it's you know it, it's so interesting. And, and I think one one area where this comes up a lot with us too, and I know we've talked about it already, is and this is almost promoted by practitioners too but is the practitioner that says well you're a difficult case or you're a tough case or you're a uh like again you're just you know i don't know and again i think it's and i do think it's very valid for a practitioner to tell you i don't know where to go from here like i i might not be the right fit for you here's maybe some other options or again like i i i think that that's really wise. I'm not saying that a practitioner should just keep going if they feel like they don't have any answers whatsoever. But I also think if you're going around thinking you're just this tough case, and again, maybe there's more complicated, like there's some different complicated elements to your case, or maybe there's something that's never going to totally be fixed per se. Again, I'm talking like sometimes autoimmune issues can flare up at times. And you know, I, I hear people all the time, I want to like, I want to heal my autoimmune issue. And it's like, you can put an autoimmune issue in remission and, and do yes. a lot of things to help the autoimmunity, but it's still probably always going to be in the, there in the background. So there can be maybe some complicating factors there that could could make th- things a little bit more challenging, or again, things to acknowledge with your case. But I think like, if you're walking around just saying I'm a tough case and and typically the people that I hear saying they're a tough case they're actually not that tough of a case either so it it's that I think can be incredibly detrimental if the expert you're working with is like well you're just a really really tough case you know what that boils down to though is that practitioner doesn't want to admit that they're out of ideas or they're right. out of tools. So they're pointing the, right. the blame, if you will, they're putting it back on the patient. And right. they're saying, oh, it's not me. I am a stupendous clinician. Right, right, you right. are a tough case. You are impossible. This is your fault, not mine. And, right. you know, we all have ego. Like, it's not, it's not like I don't, but at some point practitioners need to suck it up and and say like we are at the limit of my knowledge or my you know my expertise or like i'm out of tools and i think you would be better served you know in, in this arena or with right. this practitioner rather than yeah assigning somebody a label and making them feel like they're doomed for the rest of eternity right yeah i think that's a a really great point and again, there's nothing wrong with a practitioner saying, I'm out of tools. Like, again, they're just no. acknowledging their limitations. So, yeah, I think that it's it's can create some beliefs internally that can be hard to overcome. And, and I think, you know, one thing I'll do in, with my clients if I feel like they're getting into a headspace where 
they can't picture themselves outside of SIBO or outside of IBS or outside of their symptoms. Like they only can picture their life within the context of having symptoms. And I think that's really problematic too, is if they've lost total belief that they can improve or get better. And I think for those people, and again, maybe belief in the body again to heal or to, to uh, move forward like if they've lost belief in that uh, no matter what you do it could be hard to overcome resistance from the mind from the mind standpoint but a lot of times what i'll have people try to do is like literally take five minutes a day and just envision what would life be like outside of your gut symptoms like if your gut yeah. symptoms go down what does that look like for you how, how are you feeling what are you doing who are you with yeah. Where are yeah. you? Like, what What does that look like? And just start envisioning it because I think you can get so locked in, or I knew, I know I did, in this mentality of, oh, I'm, a, I'm sick and, like, I'm stuck in this journey and, like, I'm having all these frustrations because I can't correct these issues. And you can just get really in a vicious cycle mentally. Mm-hmm. And I think doing an exercise like that where you're sort of just taking, you know, it doesn't have to be anything really woo-woo. It's going to feel weird maybe at first when you do it, but just envisioning life outside of gut issues and what that looks like for you and really honing in on like the emotions that you would feel if that was real, I think is very Mm -hmm. nourishing to the nervous system. So like joy, gratitude, you can kind of lean into an emotion. Sometimes it's it gratitude's an easier one to access, I think, for certain people. But again, there's different emotions you could lean into in in the the visualization. But I think doing a little bit of that work can be really helpful. I have a I have a client I'm working with now who is like hasn't scheduled a trip yet, but again, has had a little bit of a, a difficult journey gut wise. She's finally making progress and like she's doing little things that kind of put her closer to her goal she really wants to go to um france like paris with her Mm -hmm. husband like that's a big goal Mm -hmm. of hers she hasn't really been able to travel so she's like she bought a beret you know she's envisioning herself so adorable on a trip in paris so yeah i know she told me that last session i had with her i was like oh my gosh i love that that. but again i think like that's something that can be really powerful. It sounds sort of like woo-woo and like, uh, I don't know, like visualizations is a weird thing. But I do think the nervous system, from a nervous system mental standpoint, manifesting or doing some sort of visualization and maybe it's you just find sort of the right strategy in that for you. But even if you do it for five minutes or something each day, I think that that can be really helpful and just kind of sitting in that visualization a little bit can help you believe that it can come true the more you yeah. you manifest it. Yeah. And I, I love that you bring this up too, because honestly, I thought that visualization was the most woo-woo bullshit stuff right, right. I had ever heard. And I think I might have shared this. I remember my my rowing coach, freshman year of college, one of the things that he wanted us to do, and he like, he gave it to us as like an assignment once. Uh, he said, I want you to go back to your hotel room because we were traveling for a race. And he said, I want you to go back to your hotel room tonight. And I want you to like sit and just visualize winning the race tomorrow. And, you know, just take a couple of minutes and imagine imagine the strokes, imagine crossing the finish line and winning the race. And I remember thinking, right no way Andrew no 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 if I have a spare moment I'm going to sleep like I'm not gonna sit there and twiddle my thumbs and imagine winning the race please but there's some really weird and fascinating research on this and just one of them I'll I'll throw out there um because I happen to remember it I don't remember the year of the study but it was a it was a study in humans. I believe it was college aged young men, and they divided the group into two groups. And they said, "Okay, Group A, you're going to do weightlifting two or three days a week, whatever it might have been. You're going to do weightlifting with you know a, a group or a coach or something two days a week, and you're going to do that for six weeks. 
and they measured they measured their strength pre-intervention and post-intervention. Mm-hmm. And obviously, after six weeks of lifting weights, they got stronger, right? Group B, they told those people to sit on their ass and envision that they were lifting weights. They did not lift any weight whatsoever. They sat on their keisters and just pretended that they were lifting the weights. You want to know what happened? They had the exact same gain in strength pre and post testing. And it was like, it was not a teeny bit. It wasn't like a 2% increase in strength. It was like a 24% increase in strength in the testing. And it's just like, how did that happen? And if I remember correctly, I think, uh, and it might be that I'm blending two studies together in my head, but I think it was the same study. They measured testosterone and their testosterone went up also. Yeah. Like chemical changes in the body. You can't even. Right. You know, you can't form an argument that proves that that is bullshit if a measurable hormone in the body responded to just pretending that they were lifting weights, you know, twice a week for six weeks or whatever it was. Right. Bananas. It's like the best example of how our beliefs can shape our biology in ways um, that we probably don't understand at all to, to the extent of how much that can affect things. But I know Dr. Dispenza, he's an, a big mm-hmm. visualization guy. I mean, I haven't read all his works, but I know in one of in one of his books, he talks about two studies, one of them similar to the one you mentioned, but they had people in casts visualize Mm -hmm. like they had two groups that were wearing casts or whatever and one group was told to do this exercise in their head mentally and basically when they took Uh the cast off the group that didn't do that and the group that did the one that did had like 25 percent more muscle mass when they took the cast off compared to the ones that were just in the cast so Mm -hmm. crazy there was also a piano and i can't remember the piano study he mentioned or the piano, I don't know if it was a qualitative observational study, but they, it was basically like people were visually learning how to how to do the piano. I, I forget how it went, but basically that one, the people that were doing the manifestation or visualization of playing the piano, like actually looked like they had been learning Yeah, physically. It, it's very strange. Again, there's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff on visualization. And again, I was with you. I, I, you know, they always say like envision the ball going in the hoop before you shoot your free throw and things like that. And I think sports psychology understands it probably more so than just the general population, but Mm. it's super fascinating. And again, I've seen it be really helpful in a couple different arenas with my clients. Like I think just generally, what are you doing to your microphone? I don't know. I don't know, but just generally, I think it's helpful to vision envision yourself outside of the gut issues which is sort of a different goal, but I also use it for food intros all the time as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's kind of different ways to use it as a tool, but I think especially if you're feeling like you're just on this uphill journey and you're having a having a hard time seeing yourself on the other side, doing some visualization work could be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's something that, A, it's free. Right. So like, even if it doesn't work, what do you have to lose? You sit quietly for five minutes and right. like rest for, or what? Like, even if it does nothing for you, it's five minutes of quiet time that you probably need. First right. of all, it's free. So it doesn't cost you a dang thing. But also, there is pretty good quality evidence that it will probably be helpful, at least in some way. It right. might not be the cure for all of your IBS, but I think it'll move the needle in the right direction. And that's so much of what we talk about on this podcast. It's like, it, the minute you find somebody who's like, oh, this one intervention right. will cure everybody with X. Spore-based probiotics will cure all of IBS. Spore-based right. probiotics will cure all of SIBO. Zinc will cure all of whatever. Like if you see any of those people just run away because nothing is right. that simple in the health arena, but it's like little incremental changes and little tweaks that you can make to move the needle in the right direction until you get to a point where you feel like you're a pretty healthy, functional, dare I say, normal person. But right. 
it's it's hard to I think it is kind of hard to get at some of this stuff because it feels woo woo or it feels like bullshit or it's like I, I think that we as a society tend to kind of write off anything having to do with mental health or mm-hmm. like the mind, which is really right. bizarre to me. But again, like even I, I shared that when my coach suggested this, he probably went to a <laughs> seminar or like a conference, right. like a coaching conference or something. The day and before. Then he came, yeah. And he came back on Monday and was like, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that this stuff has a lot of merit. And to your point earlier, like if you feel sick and weak and like you can't even wrap your head around what it would be like to play basketball, like maybe even just watching a video of you playing basketball from when you were younger or like looking at pictures of yourself, you know, rowing or running, like even something like that is kind of an exercise in visualization. So if if sitting quietly and envisioning stuff doesn't really float your boat, well, dig out some pictures, dig out some old DVDs or VHS tapes if you're old like like me, because I still have VHS tapes of stuff from when I was a kid and a teenager. Or even like, if you like to draw, doodle it. Like I, for a while there, and like, I don't know if this was it necessarily, but I think it was helpful. I was doing that, like I was just drawing the things that I wanted to like bring into my life for a little while. And it was just like a little hobby, like I would doodle a couple of things. And I do feel like it was at the bare minimum, it was kind of cathartic to do that. But like, I didn't find it as appealing to just sit quietly and envision it. So I drew it. Right. If you don't like art, and you don't like drawing, maybe just write like just write, you know, like a journal entry almost or write it as a short story. Like write the short story of the day Amy played basketball and kicked ass. Right. Right. You know, or like whatever it might be for you the day that Susan ate broccoli again and felt great. Like, just write that as like a little, you know, two paragraph short story, slap it in a journal, keep that by your nightstand. And then a couple times a week or once a day, just journal something like that. That's a form of visualization. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just sitting quietly with your thoughts if that's not your jam. Yeah, and I think that's such a great point. And and I think anytime you feel a little bit like disassociated with your, with yourself, just in general, because of the gut issues, like you don't feel like yourself when you're in the midst of the journey, anything that makes you feel more like yourself um, can be really helpful. So again, like whether that's basketball or something, like even again, doing the passions that, that bring you joy, um, you know, it might not be perfect, but it, it makes you feel more like yourself and thinking of those, those passions or hobbies or things that bring you joy and make you feel at home in your body I think can be really helpful too. So anything that makes you, again, feel at home in your body or feel safe in your body, I think can be really important. I did too want to talk a little bit about like if your body changes like physically, Mm -hmm. because I think that that can be a really weird thing to wrap your head around too. Mm -hmm. I know like I deal with a lot of people that lose weight and I know you do too. And again, personally, I lost a bunch of weight when I had SIBO and it was, it was scary. Everyone was concerned around me, rightfully so. But when everyone else is anxious around you and concerned around you, that can like make things worse as well too, because you're just feeling the concern. And and again, you're feeling broken, the more people's concern Mm -hmm. there is on you, or at least that's kind of how I felt. And it kind of makes you question your own judgment. Right? Like, oh, right. damn, did they notice something that I didn't notice? And now I can't trust myself even worse than before. Right. Right. So again, I, I think that there can sometimes be like, if there's physical changes to like a weight loss, from a weight loss standpoint in particular, I think that that can also feel like your body's like working against you in some way. Um, and then other people are kind of like, uh, concerned and rightfully so. I, I think there can be some some stuff that comes up if you're physically changing and and getting to the point where and working with someone that can help you gain weight actually helps mentally a lot as well too. I think there's even just a lot of fear that comes 
if you're getting to a certain weight. I mean, there's definitely people that I, I talk to where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm at a certain weight that I'm really freaked out by. I had one, I had one client who like her providers were threatening to put her on TPN, mm. which is like a pretty advanced reaction considering that she could tolerate things orally which again you don't really want to put someone on on tpn is basically nutrition through the blood um is the best way that that i could describe it easily but like you don't really want to put someone on tpn if they can tolerate some stuff orally um and this this client is not on tpn at all um she's been able to gain a little bit of weight but it, it is it is kind of fascinating you know, there is a fear, I think, that comes from if your body is, like, changing in some way physically. And I think the weight loss can be a part of that, that that gets a little scary and feels like your body's sort of not working for you in some ways. And again, I there's think, a lot. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think with weight gain, too, because some people, right. the manifestation of the leaky gut and the inflammation and all of this, like there are also people with IBS or SIBO who end up gaining a lot of weight. Right. And then similarly, it's like, especially with weight loss and weight gain, you could literally look in the mirror and not recognize the person you see in the mirror. Like, that's not who I know. That's not what I should look like. What's going on? And similarly, like I've had patients who are trying to eat you know, just salads and plain boiled chicken, and they're doing like the cleanest, quote unquote, blandest diet, and they're still gaining weight. And they're working out like crazy, and they're still gaining weight. And it's, again, it feels like it's you versus your body. Like you have one goal to lose weight, but your body has another goal to maintain this weight. So again, it's like that war, that feeling like you're at war with your body or at war with your microbes. And, you know, I I think that there's, there's a lot of complexity to, yeah, the weight loss, weight gain kind of conversation and metabolism and even immunology and how that plays into it. Mm -hmm. But I would say that for both, for both of those scenarios, sorry, I just, I totally like, I think you were in the middle of something and then I started on my tangent. So sorry. Um, but I think that with both of those those situations, with weight loss and weight gain, a lot of it is rooted in inflammation, too. Mm-hmm. So don't underestimate the power of anti-inflammatory strategies in addition to, you know, probiotics, prebiotics, antimicrobials, whatever you're doing for the microbiome. I think that with the inflammation, for some people, it manifests as weight loss because the inflammation probably is irritating to or degrades the mucosal lining and leads to malabsorption or malnutrition. And it probably Fs up their their hormones and their metabolism a bit. And I think for some people, the barrage of like endotoxin exposure and inflammation, it gets their immune system all riled up. And then that tends to influence the adipocytes. And it's like, it's, it's weird because one person can become inflamed and have weight gain and another right. person becomes inflamed and they have weight loss. And I think there's probably some kind of like genetic and environmental kind of things that play into that, like which one you might skew more towards. Um, but I think that inflammation is a root that doesn't always get talked about. Like when there's weight gain and weight loss in the SIBO space, it's just this hyper-focus on the microbes or hyper-focusing right. on like, how do I nourish myself while also starving the SIBO? And it's like, well, you could do those things while also thinking about doing like some broccoli seed extract or turmeric or resveratrol or green tea, something anti-inflammatory to kind of help ease that that metabolic um, mm. inflammation, if you will. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. We should probably do a whole episode on weight management in general with things like SIBO and IBS. IBS. We should, but I do, I want to preface, and if we do that episode, I'll preface it then too. I would not consider myself a weight loss expert in any way, shape, or form. So if that's your primary goal, I don't recommend working with me. (laughs) Well, and I would say in general, when I'm saying weight management too, I'm thinking people wanting to maintain, again, like gain weight, 
and people that might want to lose weight generally, what is what does that look like? And I'm not a weight loss expert at all either. Um, but I think again, like some of these things could be interesting for people just to get an understanding of what yeah. could drive weight loss and weight gain. But um, yeah, I think the other thing that's strategies to implement. Yeah, and and I think that that one thing to really keep in mind whenever weight is changing is that it's not going to define you either way. It's something maybe, again, I, I think having concerns if your weight's shifting rapidly in one direction or another is certainly something to to question and, and, you know, try to understand. But it's not necessarily something that's like defines who you are or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, I think that there's a lot of it, it's very easy sometimes just culturally if you're gaining weight to, you know, have what's going on on the scale define you. And I think, again, there's there's a little bit of that that goes on when you're losing weight, too, where yeah. where it feels overwhelming. Uh, so, again, I think that that's important to note. The, the only other thing I, I think to add to this, too, is I think even the way people see their bodies if they're bloated or having symptoms mm-hmm. can also be another body image type thing or feeling like because there's definitely people that I've worked with, and again, I don't know if you've noticed this much, where it's like their main concern is how they look yeah. with the bloating. Um, and again, like, that's not necessarily um, something to totally not be concerned about, but there's almost like a hyper focus on after they eat, yeah. looking in the mirror and being like, oh my gosh, I feel super, or I. I, I'm bloating up majorly. Um, yeah. And it's, it's again, affecting more of the mental aspect. I I, I hope I'm being clear about this because it's not to say that, you know, yeah. you can't have concerns or want to remedy the bloat. Um, that's not a bad thing. But it's yeah. more that there's sort of a hypervigilance like, on how they're looking. You could call it vanity, but that has a negative connotation to it. And I do, I think that we are all allowed an ounce of vanity in our lives. Like, right, right. You know, like I, uh, I even, you know, more recently, like with, with COVID and quarantine and, and adult life, like I put on a couple of extra pounds that I would love to get rid of. And I even had the thought, like I'm going on a work trip for like a conference and I'm going to see some friends in California next week. And even I had the thoughts like a month ago ah, I wonder if I can like shave off these couple of pounds before I go to California. So it's not that any of us are immune to vanity and wanting our physical appearance to look good. Um, But I guess like for me, just for what it for what it's worth, um, I just kind of took a step back and realized that the thought of trying to lose five or 10 pounds in a month where I was already juggling a double move (laughs) and still working and recording a podcast and doing FODMAP freedom and all the other things I do. Like that was certifiably insane. Like, right. Exactly. You know, I, I didn't ever judge myself for having the thought. Right. But like, I didn't really dwell on it very much because it's like, no, 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 I have bigger fish to fry right now. And sometimes I think that could also be the case for weight gain as it pertains to the SIBO journey or the IBS journey as well is like, why don't, why don't we focus on getting your body healthy and kind of ignore the weight a little bit right now? Like, let's just focus on making you a healthier person. And if you're a healthy person who's also overweight, then any sort of future endeavor to lose the weight is probably going to be a heck of a lot easier but right. what sometimes will happen too is that you f- if you focus on getting healthier and just like you know remedying your IBS like just having good normal poops and feeling mm-hmm. like you could digest your food and having better energy and getting better sleep like if you focus on that stuff oftentimes some of the weight starts to kind of fall away on its own and you don't even have to worry about remedying that specifically because it's right. like, it's a, it's a happy byproduct of the healing journey for, for some people. Not everyone. Like, to be clear, it's kind of, um, and you'll probably have already heard this, uh, I would assume. It's kind of like when a lot of women say, oh, you want to lose the baby weight after you have your baby? Just breastfeed. 
And the weight will just melt off miraculously. And there's always, like, there are women that that happens for. But then there's a subset of women who are like, I hate all of you who told me that because I breastfed and none of the weight came off. You all were liars. And it's like, we're all different. But I think just similarly, focus on the health first. And then you always can give yourself permission to work on the weight thing a little bit later. But like maintaining your health should be the first goal, in in my opinion, at least. Right. And I think, again, like in the examples, too, of people that just like don't like how they look when they're bloated, like, and again, it's not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing. Like what you're saying, we all want to look a certain way. We all like looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's more of the scenario where you don't want to get so wrapped up in hyper-focusing on how you're looking that you're that you're missing other key elements or that that's holding you yeah. back from doing things that might move you forward if you're always worried about any changes in the bloating that could happen or, yeah. again, that, that sort of thing. So I, I think, again, there's sort of... Um, there's other things to potentially examine outside of the just the bloating or again how you're looking and and, and if you're so hyper focused on how you're looking it could actually just derail progress so yeah i think again it's it's not necessarily that's a that's a bad thing it's just something to look out for like you don't want to be too like looking at the mirror all the time and stressing yourself out if you're focused right exactly yeah and i i do think um, to kind of start to wrap up here, because I've got to go pick up my kiddo from school in a minute. Yeah. But I think everything in balance, everything in moderation right. is true in so many different ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, like a little bit of vanity, perfectly normal, perfectly acceptable. <laughs> right, like, right. We all we all brush our teeth because we don't want funky, weird, yellow, stinky teeth. Right. And we maybe want to kiss somebody someday. We all presumably like bathe so that we don't smell terrible and we can attract a mate as cheesy as that sounds. We all probably brush our hair. Like, you know, it's like Uh. we all do. Well, (laughs) not Amy. Well, we we all want to look presentable to varying degrees. But again, it's like when when that is your whole journey. When that's that's the hyper focus uh, that you have, then it can it can the thing about hyper focusing is that it distracts you and makes you ignore other stuff. So right. I know they talk about this with ADHD sometimes, and I will say I'm not I don't think I have ADHD. I don't think I would be diagnosable, but I think I'm lightly touched by it. Like, I think I have a little bit more of that tendency than maybe the average person. You've got a sprinkle. So the world, yeah, I've got a sprinkle, a dusting. So mm. uh, I I kind of am fascinated by ADHD. And like, sometimes I'll watch YouTube videos and stuff learning about it because some of the strategies that are helpful for people with ADHD, I found to be helpful or like right. just the frame of reference. Um, but uh, I know like with um i think pen holderness has talked about this with adhd where it's like the the diagnosis almost makes no sense because it's attention deficit but it's not that they have a deficit in attention it's just that they're very selective about where they place their attention a lot of the time so it's not right. that people with adhd have the inability to focus it's that when they do, they hyper-focus on one thing for hours and they right. completely ignore other stuff and they like they appear to be zoned out. But I know like when they were talking about the Amazing Race, I think, because the Holderness family was on that recently, um, you know, they were saying that Penn's ability to really hyper-focus and just totally lose himself in one task and ignore everything else around him right. came in really, really handy at various points. So like, I think that that's the issue, though, with hyper focusing on any one symptom or any one thing is like, you're gonna, you're gonna start missing out on other stuff. Like you could be, you could literally be starving yourself 
and right. overworking yourself to death because you're so hyper-focused on weight loss and you don't even realize that that is exactly what's entrenching you in the inflammation that's keeping the weight right. on. Or that that's entrenching you further in the IBS and the dysbiosis that you're so desperately trying to remedy. Right. Or if you're so busy trying to starve the SIBO and that's leading to a calorie deficit and then Mm -hmm. you're losing weight because of that. Like, again, I I think I think you're right. It's it's, with so many things the over being over focused or hyper vigilant on certain areas is not going to be uh helpful for you in the long run yeah yeah and i think i just want to wrap up by saying also try to try to approach things when you can with some curiosity and context for the situation so like i think that a lot of people develop habits and patterns and um like by patterns, I mean like things, things with like your mental health that you kind of habitually do or right. like tendencies that you have. I think that we, we all develop patterns and tendencies and behaviors because they served us well once before. Right. They might not be serving you well now, but probably anything, if, if you kind of flesh it out either on your own or with the help of a therapist or something you could probably start wrapping your head around, oh, this thing that I do that I wish I didn't do probably made sense back in this situation. Right. And I just I just kind of never rebooted the computer, so right. to speak, like the brain computer. I just never rebooted after that that situation had passed by. Right. And I'm running on some old crappy programming. So right. similarly, like if you're kind of curious and you kind of just wonder like, all right, this thing about my body that I don't like, or this thing that I do that I don't like, I wonder why it developed. Like, why did I start right. doing that? Or why did my body start doing that? And try try to resist the urge to point a finger or blame yourself or anybody else and just kind of like explore that a little bit. I think that curiosity would serve all of us well. Uh, but in this kind of world, I think especially because where you have curiosity, I think you naturally start to let go of judgment. And that's probably one of the most healing things you can do. But uh, another another good thing for healing purposes is setting boundaries. And I am so sorry, my dear, I would talk to you All right. for so much longer, but I need to skedaddle and go pick up Jess from her school. Yes, you do. We don't so want her waiting for uh, you. Well, yeah, she's she will be mighty unpleased with me if she's the last kid in the school pickup line. So, and she she lets me know when she's disgruntled with the service she receives. Oh wow! So I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go pick her up from school. But as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for the IBS Freedom Podcast. I hope my background looks prettier next time. I'm sure it will be. But in the meantime, you know what to do. Leave us that five-star review if you think we earned it. Say hi to us on Instagram. Amy is at... Amy underscore Hollenkamp underscore RD. You can hear the enthusiasm in her voice, people. Yeah. And I am at Triangle Guts because I'm in the Triangle of North Carolina. So until next time, we will see you right back here on the IBS Freedom Podcast. Take care.